everyone. Thank you for joining us today for your podcast, Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast hosted by your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and the Minority Women's Enterprise Diversity Center. Before we get into the podcast, let me talk to you about our sponsors for the show. If you are looking for real estate in El Paso, reach out to our friends at Epicenter, 915-532-3456. They have locations all over El Paso. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Sun Carpets, for their sponsorship of our podcast room. Let me go ahead and introduce you to our moderator for the show, Ms. Cindy Ramos-Davidson, CEO of your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Well, welcome everyone to our July Sharing Sweat Equity, our podcast with your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And I am Cindy Ramos-Davidson, the CEO of your El Paso Hispanic Chamber. And I am so thrilled to be here today with one dynamic, amazing woman, Miss Kelly Tomlin, who is president of your El Paso Electric. Welcome, Kelly. Oh, thank you, Cindy. I am thrilled to be here. We are so excited to have you and share your wisdom. I think if I could package it all, I could make a billion dollars. <laughs> But I don't think we have but 20 or 25 minutes to do that. So I, you know, let's let's just have a light conversation and and have our listeners kind of get a better understanding about your role that you have at El Paso Electric. Because there's not a whole lot of women in utility, especially at the level you're at. So I'd like to ask you if you could change one thing today about the company, what would it be? I don't know if it'd be about the company per se. It would be about how the company is perceived. I guess that's a, a dip, I guess you look, people look through different things through different lenses. Right. So I guess that could be a challenge. Well, I have 1,100 of the most dedicated, committed people that I have ever worked with. They love this region. They want their families to be here. And they're so committed. And somehow, sometimes I think we perceive a El Paso Electric as somehow separate from the community when in fact, these guys are on boards. They are contributing. They're volunteering. They're most active community people I know. So if I could change a thing, I would love for people to really be able to walk our walls and see the people of El Paso Electric and how many of them probably are sitting across from you in the diner at your church at your organization. And I think that's what I would change. Just the intimacy with which we can collaborate with our community. And I understand that El Paso Electric, which is one of very few in our community, where people went to high, graduated from high school and went right to work at El Paso Electric. I, I hear stories about that. You know, I love this industry and I love EPE in particular about it. It's one place in the world where there really is uh, social and economic mobility. Uh, so many of us, including me, are first-time college grads in our family, uh, people who are running power plants started as interns. We just really have a lot of opportunity that a lot of people, especially women, don't know exists. Uh, I'm not a technical person. My first degree is in journalism. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity I think people don't know about. So I do think that uh, the good thing about us is that people do invite their friends and their kids and a lot of families work there and people are proud of that. And we do take, I think, a lot of the best and brightest of our community within our walls. So you took, you kind of helped me segue to my next question, because one of the things I wanted to know, and I'm sure our audiences would love, there's so many things that you're proud of, but what is, when it comes to El Paso Electric, what are you the most proud of? I know I can see it in your face. I wish our audience <laughs> listeners could too, about your people. There's so many different moving right. parts. What would you say you are the most proud of at 
El Paso Electric as the company? Well, it's been documented recently, but really their leadership, uh, sometimes leadership is very lonely. I and imagine so. <laughs> I know you know, Cindy. We do. <laughs> At EPE, they have made some decisions that were unpopular, and one of those that you and I have spoken about a lot is the decision to uh, the last time we built a power plant to build it to run on dual fuel. And when we wanted it to be able to run on uh, something other than gas, it was very unpopular. And people just put their heads down and said, no, this is right for the community. It's right for our customers. But there was a lot of protest. And as we found out this February, it was the right decision. And so I'm really proud of the fact that we have had a history of making decisions that we or they got a lot of feedback, negative feedback, but they keep coming back to their heart. So building that power plant, being able to continue to make decisions that really address affordability, reliability, and our environment simultaneously. And they're, and the fact that they balance it every day without getting a lot of credit. You know, Yeah, nobody, it's behind the scenes. <laughs> that's, that's true sharing sweat equity, and right? Now, nobody walks into many of our power plants and says, thank you, Albert, for what you did today. Thank you, Fred, for what you did today. Thank you, David. Uh, it's behind the scenes and people... People don't recognize it as often as I wish they would. No, we talk about the Newman plant. Isn't it like 60 years old? It is. Got a little day plate. Says 1957. Uh, let's say I wasn't born then, but close to it. Um, power plants are typically built to run about 40 years, and we really. Uh, put our people in very difficult positions when they're trying to really hold it together. I bet. And, I mean, getting parts for a plant I, that age, would that be difficult? Uh, you know, it's get, getting parts and just making it work every day. But more than that, making sure that it's reliable when we need it to. And uh, they take a great deal of pride in making sure, sure things turn on. So they're not designed to live that long. They're inefficient. They use more gas. They use too much water. We're not proud to run it, but we keep doing it for good reasons. Our right. economy's growing, our load is growing, and we need that power plant, we hope, in the future as a backup. But today, it's it's having to run a lot. So the challenge with the Newman plant going forward, besides money, are oh. a lot of rules and regulations, oh. I'm sure. And I guess I'd love for you to clarify to our listeners that we can't live without electricity. And we know firsthand what happened in the other part of Texas, and El Paso was not affected in that regard. But yeah. it takes big equipment, it takes big money, and it takes different kinds of things that you have to do environmentally to make sure that you have what you need. What could you tell somebody that doesn't really sure. understand maybe or just is just has some struggling with, with moving forward, if that's a fair question. Sure it is, Cindy. And I've been doing this for 30 years in various industries, uh, a part of the en energy space and in various different jurisdictions, states, countries. And there's always a question about what resource is the best resource, recognizing there is no perfect resource. And I hope what we've found that we need diversity. We need to continue to get greener and greener. And I'm proud that we got rid of our coal plant. And now we're, our goal is to get rid of the second most polluting and inefficient power plant. And so there's no perfect solution. Well, I'd like them to know that this power plant will replace something that uses more gas, uses a lot more water. It will save us at, in a place that we really need to, 600 million gallons of water. That's it what will, I understood. That's a lot of water So much usage. water in our desert. But more than that, it will allow us to effectively uh, deploy renewables. And there's been a lot of talk in California in particular, and Hawaii in particular, about what a transition looks like that's ineffective. 
prices can go up, reliability can go down. So we want to have power plants that are flexible, that think of a light switch that can turn down and up, down and up, because that's what renewables do. Mm-hmm. And what we have now are plants that have to run all the time because they don't have that capability. So it is cleaner, more efficient. It allows us to take the the next worst thing off our system. And is it perfect? Nothing is perfect. There is no solution, but we're continuing to look at technology solutions around hydrogen, batteries, renewables, and carbon capture and small scale nuclear. We're looking at everything, recognizing that it usually takes a lot of diversity to deliver price, reliability, and the appropriate environmental solution. And so for our listeners today, if they're still in a quandary about what's right, what's not right, their moral conscience and an economic conscience, I imagine you have keynote speakers or speakers, people that could come out and talk to groups and kind of better clarify. Yes. And obviously, guys, again, we have 1,100 people are doing that same analysis. You know, we too have a heart and a mind that has to work together. Mm -hmm. We we sweat over, is this the best solution? And remember, this started in 2017. We went through a lengthy process. I remember Newman was only a part of the package. It was almost 500 megawatts. And I know everybody hates me talking about megawatts, but half, more than half of that was renewables and 50 megawatts of storage, then a 235 power plant. So it is a, we labored over it and we analyzed and we had an IRP that came in third party, an Mm -hmm. integrated resource plan that looks at what is the best solution. So we we are in the same position you are, uh, struggling to make sure we're doing the right thing for price, the environment, and reliability. How is the electric utility industry changing from the time that sure. you came in into the time you're at? Now, I'm serious, you've seen an awful lot. And for our listeners, I would really like them to understand that we can't live without electricity. <laughs> and, well, they, and, and everyone is changing, and we're hearing climate change, and we're hearing the greening of America. So how has that changed in your industry? Well, I started in 1990 in, in Pennsylvania in, in a utility company. And what has changed is, well, many things, but one of which is the partnership between customers and the utility. And and Cindy, you're right. We learned, if anything, during the pandemic that electricity and energy is the foundation of our security, Correct. our health, we our can't wealth. can't without it. Well, right. hospitals don't work. Your homework didn't work. We would be out and parents would think we we're going to cut off power. They're like, no, we got homework. We were just out reviewing the system. Health-wise? Health. Well, I live in the Caribbean, love the Caribbean. I sat on the board of the Caribbean utilities for all Caribbean utilities. It's beautiful, but what they don't have, and it drives a lot of economic disparity, is cheap, reliable energy. So it does it does form the foundation of, of all we do. And in the years that I have been in here, there is now, I don't just give what my customers want. We work together for energy mm-hmm. efficiency you can have your own solutions. Technology has changed. But I think what's going to happen now, Cindy, is technology is moving ahead so quickly that the changes we are going to see are going to be phenomenal. And 60 years from now or 30 years from now, we will start delivering energy, not through wires and poles. I believe that. But technology has changed. The customer partnership has changed. The information we have available for our customers has changed. But I will say the industry now is really in a leadership position around green energy mm-hmm. that We could have been criticized in the past of trying to block it. I hear you. So let's talk a little bit about Kelly. How do you spend your day in a utility? (laughs) I've seen some amazing pictures of you wearing a hard hat and you're out at a power plant. And, and, you know, I'm looking at this amazing five-foot person (laughs) in a power plant. I'm choosing. I'm (laughs) choosing. When I stretch up. Um, 
You know, it is different every day, but really, as you know, Cindy, a leadership role really is how we connect with our people we serve, both internally and externally. I spend a lot of time uh, talking in meetings and in other forum with people, trying to get input and output. Our utility is basically always looking at how, what the weather is doing, for instance, and how our costs are moving. Right now, we're dealing with supply challenges like a lot of people are. I bet you are. <laughs> trying to get solar panels in, trying mm -hmm. to get just the basics to do our business uh, keys. You mentioned some repairs, which are very difficult to get they are. in good times, but after COVID, even harder. So we, we spend a lot of time putting out fires, strategic planning. Um, our, our space used to be a 40-year planning, and now we're 20-year and 10-year, but still looking at the future, dealing with problems right now. But it really is, pun uh, I mean, the pun intended, a connection experience for me day-to-day, -day, talking with people we serve, our customers, talking with people who regulate us, and talking with people that I lead. It's really a one big conversation for me. Right. If someone were to come up to you and say, boy, I heard that podcast. It was the greatest <laughs> podcast I want to get into the utility business, and oh, by the way, I'm a woman. What would you say? You know, I want to brag on my industry a little bit, and I am the recipient of diversity initiatives. In 1995, we had a director of diversity in my utility, and I was a lawyer at the time, and they said, we need diversity. Our industry is going through deregulation change, and they moved me into different roles, and I became involved in operations in 1996 and 7, and that really was a diversity initiative. But we do, and you mentioned that we're still male-dominated, but we have significant diversity now because we planned 20 years ago. So I would say to anybody who's interested, especially young women, don't think you can't, number one. Number two, don't think you have to be an engineer. While we deploy, A lot of people think you do. I know. Or we you have, have to have that mathematical background that well, some people just don't, you know. Well, I think in all business, logic helps, but think about it. We have accountants. We have people who market, communications people. We, If you look at my leadership team, we have a lot of customer service people, mm -hmm. people that really deal with our problems. We have economic development people that are, our core mission, remember, is to help grow the economy. And that's a side in itself. So there is everything you can think about in a business is available in this energy industry. And I, I would say to every, you can tell I'm a fan of the industry, that there's so much opportunity for growth and movement. And while I have moved a lot for that opportunity, it's not required. Um, there's a lot of different things going on. If it's transportation, we have an EV club, owners club. I'm a proud member, my Tesla. But we have a lot going on and there's a lot of room at the table. So if you're interested in our company, give us a call, come and chat and look at us. Our interns we have today cross the spectrum, legal PR. County. They're just all over. They're all over. Don't think of energy industry as only one thing. Although we're celebrating Lineman Appreciation Day on Saturday. and We love I, our linemen. We love our linemen. <laughs> we they love have, our linemen. They have come and done amazing things even at our building too. So I can understand how we, we all need to embrace. That's a very dangerous job. Um, and technical and yes. a great career. Pays well. It's, it's really interesting. So we're we're trying to market that too, but there's a lot of opportunities to participate. As a woman in your role, I'm sure you've had many challenges. So to share with the listeners, what would be a takeaway from someone who is in a leadership role right. that has to have a tough decision and a lot of the decisions that she has to make are around men. So maybe she's in a room and mm. she's the only woman. And I can imagine you've been in many of those corners. Mm. And how, what would you suggest or what were the tools you used to help you get done what needed to get done? 
Number one, be authentic. Uh, we talked about this. We did. Cindy. Yes. Um, early in my career, I did try to pretend to be more quiet than I am. <laughs> uh, more serious than I am. You know, we were taught in the 80s to be all buttoned up, be serious. You know, I had to Polite. wear, you know, just, you know, don't laugh too loud. So I think that, but also just explain to people, I, I've noticed that women, and, and I don't like to make generalizations, but we often talk to get to an answer. So let's say I'm a leader and I will make a statement. That's my first statement. That doesn't mean that's the one I'm going to end up on. That means what I'm thinking today. And I think for me to make effective decisions, it required me to really be transparent and say, listen, we all get to decisions differently. Um, what I say now is just my opening entree. It's not my final word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm still learning how to listen deeper and listen more. Don't take it personally. And sometimes as a and you mentioned my height. Being petite is sometimes works against you. Yeah, uh, short I as you know. As I you know, do. Um, I we, do. That's the reason my feet are all messed up because <laughs> I've worn these heels for life. But I think being effective decision maker is always about listening and being certain, recognizing you're going to make some errors and being okay with that. So I think a lot of us don't make decisions because we don't want to be wrong. We don't want to fail. And Brené Brown talks about vulnerability and shame and, you know, doing your best and knowing that your best is good enough most days. And when it's not, there's, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. And, And being really courageous enough to admit that you need help making decisions, but being courageous enough to actually make a decision. If you had to do one do-over from last year, last year was a tough year for all of us. Is there one thing that comes to mind that you would do over? I think I would move more slowly. Um, Anytime you have a new job, you want to come in and make change and you want to do things and you want to drag people and you want to get to know people. And I don't think I recognize with enough sensitivity that people were already dealing with a lot, especially in my company. We had new ownership new leadership, new everything. And it was I like was, a whole new change of everything, change. you bet. I think I didn't lead with my heart enough. You know, I had a you know an agenda and I had to get the agenda done. And if I had to do over again, I would sit more still for a moment and let people and let everybody just sit with the change instead of barreling forward. Uh, so I, I do think I would have uh, been more quiet in the beginning. That's great advice. I think I, think I need <laughs> to take so some of that hard. advice because we're, we're so driven. We got to get it down. We got to prove we can do it. Yes. We got a timeline. You it know, makes it challenging. One of my favorite, favorite proverbs and African proverb is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. <laughs> if you want to go far, go together. Oh, that's so I think, a great quote. Yeah, that's that. If somebody said, what did you remind yourself of this year? Yes. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that's still something that I have to come back to time and time again because my natural rhythm is Get very, going. very fast in the way I speak and the way I move. And it's hard sometimes when you have a natural rhythm that isn't well suited to every environment. I can understand that clearly. <laughs> when was, no, we're a lot of luck. We mm-hmm. are. When was the last time you changed your mind about something important? You know, I I say this a lot to people that we, especially recently, have seen such a weddedness to an idea that we're just so close-minded about um, changing our mind. We always say, open heart, open mind, or strong heart, strong mind, Yeah, I've heard both of those many times. Easier said than practicing. You know, and 
you know, it, without sounding like a flake, you know, I've changed my political party. I've changed my religion. I grew up Southern Baptist, which I love dearly. I'm not that anymore. I've changed my mind about what's the best structure to get to the most environmentally uh, justifiable generation. So there, I don't think there's been a major decision I haven't changed my mind, but I have changed my mind mostly about people. Mm-hmm. When you move to a place, let's not use this place because that's, you know, close to home, but you move to Jamaica. People always look at me and say, were you scared in oh. Kingston? Like we all have these preconceived notions. And I think, you know, certainly I changed my mind about the Caribbean. So I think it's always up to us to have people in our life who will question us, push us, to ask if our opinions or our conclusions are still valid. So it's easier to ask what haven't you changed your mind about um, than what I have, uh, what I still believe that I I thought 10 years ago. What do you think your management style is? Well, I wrote a little, uh, I wrote a book called Think Think Love. We all think we know what it is, but you know... No, I, I, I used to say I do power differently, and I, I, I love that because of my industry, but this idea of really dissecting what does power look like. Power has been very toxic. Martin Luther King said, love without power, and think about that concept is, is, an, is anemic, basically. And that's the book you wrote about, right? I did, but Martin Luther King said it so long before. What I'm thinking, love without power is sentimental and anemic, but power without love is abusive and toxic. So I think my leadership style has always been this idea of balancing this thing called think love. Mm-hmm. And that's a leadership model I wrote and put together. And and it stands for to that I myself be true, have a higher purpose, integrate, even with people who don't look like you, pray like you, whatever, navigate your ship, combine your knowing with your knowledge. Because there used to be the great feminine, and now we just bow down to the intellect. And there is the intellect and the intuition. Mm-hmm. There is the knowledge and the knowingness. And the love part of the Think Love model is just listen, maintain your optimism. Remember, there's great voice and vulnerability and manage your energy. Don't let people in your world that are going to tear you apart and tear you down. So It's kind of like don't give somebody your remote control and no, let them punch your buttons. But we right? do. And, I, and yeah. if I could talk about women, uh, we sometimes do. We want to be powerful. We let people in our life who take away our power. So for me, my leadership model is think love, but it's always coming back to this balance of the great masculine and the great feminine. And tell me a little bit about what motivates you to write the book. You know, there's times in your life, your heart is broken open. And um, Mother Teresa said that we want to have our hearts broken open so the whole wide world can fall, fall in. And after being in Jamaica for five years, Um, I wanted to end well, so I started getting up every morning and writing uh, a just a a paragraph of sorts to say, this is what we've been through. This is what we've been through. And everyone said, we got to put in a book. We got to put in a book. Long story short, uh, we wanted to bring a lot of leadership into a space where you could reflect on it. So we know there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of leadership books written. Yeah, quite a few. But why are we getting to be great leaders? Why isn't leadership so easy now? Because I think that we haven't found a way to take that intellectual knowing inside. So my books are are journals, a reflection. They give a leadership concept that I've learned from somebody else, usually if it's Simon Siddick, Bernie Brown, these and this. Um, And it gives you a space to write and be with it. We already know what to do. So many of us, Cindy, you know, you've, you've led companies forever. 
It's just finding the space to put our knowingness into practice. And that's sometimes very difficult, is it not? Because we're busy, right? I know. We're we so have busy. so many things we're doing. I'd love for you to share with our listeners today a little bit about the community impact El Paso Electric has given to our local community. It is such a corporate role model that if others followed in other communities, I think there would be such more success in terms of what's going on from an economic perspective. So maybe share in regards sure. to community involvement from sure. El Paso Electric. And we really believe we're all in this together. And as I said, our core mission is economic vibrancy. So it's not like you can uh, be economically vibrant like one group. We may think that, but we see throughout the world that when you have a disparity of the very, very, very wealthy and the very, very unwealthy, then mm-hmm. something happens. So a lot of our, our giving is noted as corporate contribution, just looking at education and how we help build a society that's self-sustaining and well and healthy. So that's a part of our, our corporate giving. But what we don't know is what we see, as I've mentioned earlier, Correct. that the unbelievable volunteerism, we have goals this year, I think. Because it goes to, beyond money. It's, it's oh, actual yes. hours and time of people volunteering. Yes. Carmen's calling me now. You got to plant a tree on Saturday. You got to <laughs> give up uh, something at the food bank on Sunday, you know, and we're going to do the fine arts thing with Khalid. And uh, it is this idea. It's a it's a requirement of leadership to give back to your community, to be in your community. So we have our corporate giving, but we also have our employee giving. We're putting together our foundation now and our volunteerism. But more than that, if I got the list, as I mentioned earlier, of our employee contributions to boards, to other activities, whether it's their church or their sports team, we are the most I believe socially conscious. You very group. much so I've are in the community. Ever worked for not just for this community, and there and giving is is a philosophy. Giving is a part of our values. So I think it's not just our corporate dollars. It is our our total contribution to our community. Well, we have a few more minutes, and I'd really like for people to know what drives Kelly Tomlin. We could talk forever. We've only got so many minutes. What drives yeah. you to succeed? You know, my kids ask me that, but there's, I think there's this idea, and you know, Cindy, my dad didn't graduate from high school. Um, I was a daughter of a coal miner, and I've had so much experience of, experiences of feeling left out or, you know, feeling like there's no chance for me at this table. Mm-hmm. So what drives me every day is making that table bigger, put another seat at the table, because it's that... That feeling like there's room for one more. And I'm going to help make that happen. Yes. So our industry helps make it happen because when we can be cheap, we can be reliable. We put food on the table almost because if you're not spending one more dollar for a kilowatt hour, you're buying something else you need, right? Right. So we have a group coming in today to talk about affordability, but it really is this idea of making it better, you know, again and again, inviting more people to be a part of, you know, the American promise, the world promise, the equality promise, the unity promise. So I think energy is such a good place for that. It gives you a lot of opportunity to do it. But I think we, like you, I know you, Cindy, you want to, at the end of the day, lay your head down, take your last breath and say, I did what I could. Correct. I pulled back and I pulled up and I opened doors. <laughs> I mean, that's right. really what it boils down to, right? I set the table for one more person and one more person's eating at a table. And I think that's, that's what drives you. Have, have we made it better? 
Well, we are so fortunate, Kelly, to have you in our community. So excited that you could join us today. We are absolutely thrilled that you're at the lead of a utility, which isn't very often done by women. And <laughs> well, so I well, guess- Well, I'm very proud to be a part of the board of the Hispanic Chamber. That's right, and Chamber. you are a member of our board. That's right, I forgot to mention that. Shame I know, on me. come on. You were the first person who asked me to do anything. And I at, did. And I didn't know it got really cold. Uh, in I love this story. El Paso. And I'm sitting there in my little El Paso clothes, and I'm freezing to death. Cindy has a coat, and she literally gives me the coat off her back. I did. So I will never forget that as long as I live. <laughs> you were one of the first people met with me. You sent me a package from the Hispanic Chamber. So that you could kind of understand how we yes. were a little bit. We're and very was, loving. And I was so honored. And you met with me and you gave me literally the coat off your back. So it will always be in my heart. You're welcome and the Hispanic Chamber is welcome. And our excitement about that was coming into a new community, not knowing and understanding maybe who we are. And as a woman, I know the challenges are great mm. for women in leadership roles. We're still not at parity where we need to mm. be. And I just wanted to make sure that you knew there were others that were there side by side helping you any way we could and so we were very blessed to have you in our community and and you did just that thank you very much and thanks for joining us today thank on sharing for, sweat equity thank appreciate you. it thank you listeners and watch for our next one coming up in a couple of weeks we're going to be doing these a little more often now that we are somewhat out of covid and excited about sharing some more leadership tips for you thanks for joining us